Tetris is dead. Long live Tetris. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. 2024 is the best year in retro ever. Winging it on an Amiga. And Kid Kills Tetris. All this and more coming up on the first show of 2024. Up to date news for out of date tech. Happy New Year, guys. Did you enjoy your Happy break? Yeah. yeah. I'm Lovely still on my break at time of recording. Yeah. Last day of my break. You are. Last okay. Christmas drink. And then back to work. Christmas drink. Steaming again. Oh, I'm already on dry January. No no more Christmas drinks for me. I will um, be doing a dry January, I think. <laughs> well, you're eight long days break. in, Chris. It's a bit it's, late. It's eight days in. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll almost yeah. do dry January. Yeah. Okay, after this. almost. Just a slightly moist January. Uh, what do we do with our Christmas breaks? I did manage to try and get the best part of two weeks off at my end. Did involve a little bit of gaming. Not so much retro gaming, though, because the Steam sale was on, the Christmas Steam sale. So I came to Battlefield Five and uh, Assetto Corsa. Assetto or Assetti, whatever it's called, the driving game, which I haven't even played yet. I've just bought it because it was on a super cheap deal. That's the, that's the sting with Steam, isn't it? You see it. You, oh, it's £40 down to, in Battlefield's case, I think it was £2.50. I couldn't I couldn't not buy it. So it's in the library now. And um, it's okay. I, I, I have to say, I'm not getting the same feels that I used to get back in 2001 with Battlefield 1942. It feels... It feels a bit more enclosed, a bit more close quarters than the old ones where you had Wake Island and you would come in on the boats. Maybe I just haven't played it enough, but it feels a bit more like Call of Duty than Battlefield. No. Yeah. Couldn't tell you the difference. That's the wrong way. That's the wrong way. Because Call of yeah. Duty's got bigger, hasn't it, with the, the, the game mode that's a bit like Fortnite. Where the, the well, I haven't played that for a long time, Call of Duty. Um, PlayStation 3, I think, was the last time the I played way. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, nothing too retro to report. My end, Dave. What have you been up to? I've been. I didn't have a lot of time off, but I had. I did buy Pathfinder Kingmaker, and then never get round to playing it because I've got too much, too much tidying to do, and I've not let myself do it because it will eat my life. It's, I see uh, some it, some storage crates behind you. Is that part of your tidying up process? I've been there for weeks, but they're, they're, oh, yeah, okay. they're, they're, they're next. They're, they're next. When, when once I've got, I've been fiddling with a, my IBM PS2 trying to get it to work, and I've got a new thing, uh, a new oh, exciting thing, which I'm going to talk go. about. I'm going to talk about <laughs> later on. This is a Pico mem. It's the best thing in the world. I'll talk about it later on. It's such a fantastic ISA card. I S A. Isa, uh, which I'll discuss later on on the show because it's going to come up in something. I've been fiddling in with that. Um, yeah, the, once the IBM's all all in its place, and I bought two new monitors for it. Once it's all in place, I'll be able to get the crates through, sort through everything, and my life will be so smooth and dreamlike and amazing. I'll have all this organised time on my hands. It's going to be great. Of course you will. Of course you will. Well, it's good to start the year off with good intentions. Uh, Chris, what have you been up to? <laughs> Uh, well, as promised in the Christmas special, I've subjected pretty much anybody that walked in my front door to playing combat and or pong, usually both, on the 2600 plus, and absolutely loved it. Even if even if they didn't, so family members, guests, whoever, 
I don't care. Um, they had to play me at both of those, which was great fun. Got around to playing Mr. Run and Jump as well, um, which is really mm. cool. Um, played that with my mate Shane. Uh, played heaps of games. Um, lots of Batman on the Amiga. Um, got Maria Whitaker's top off over Christmas, as is Ooh. the tradition. Um, and uh, Shane um, also brought around his Mega Drive, so I've been playing Outrun on the Shane. Mega Drive. Shane is such an Australian name. It is. <laughs> he's not in Neighbours. He's a real person. Anyway, he brought around his Mega Drive and I played Outrun because he lent it to me over the weekend, over this last weekend, and I, I beat Outrun. I beat. I, went, I got to all five of well the done. goals. So um, really, really enjoyed that. Um, and we also played um, Dino, uh, not Dino Crisis, what am I talking about? Xeno Crisis, which is a, yeah, a I know modern it well, game. Yeah. yeah, and it's a bit like a it's kind of a cross between Killing Game Show and Alien Breed. That's what it felt like to me anyway. Yeah, it's... It's it's um its origins are really in Robotron and Smash TV because it's a twin stick right. shooter yeah. screen yeah, at the true. time. Yeah, great yeah. game. Um, I've actually got it on the Mega Drive, and also the guys who developed it came to the cave once and oh, donated cool. a Neo Geo cartridge version of it. So, <gasps> and and recent over Christmas, um, patrons would have seen a donation I shared where a, a Neo Geo is now in the cave, an AES. So now I can play the Neo Geo Xeno Crisis on that hulking great big cartridge on a on a Neo Geo. But I've only got one joystick, so I need to get another stick to properly twin stick it. Yeah. Nice. It's and a good a, game. That, that's a new that's a modern game for old systems. It is. It's yeah. by is it Bitmap Bureau? That's right. Yeah. 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 Good game. Yeah, it's it's very good. It's very good. Um and yeah, just I just want to play more games in, in 2024. Kind of inspired by there's a a, a smallish smaller retro um youtube channel called the retro bear really nice guy and his christmas speech was just about getting back to to playing games you know he's more of a cuddly bear mm. um, oh okay than, than a scary bear yeah he's just such a nice down-to-earth guy you know um and um yeah he just talked about the need to play more games rather than just talking about them which what's yeah, his channel so, um the retro bear um i'm so, gonna go and yeah. subscribe now the retro well, well bear. worth a watch well worth a watch. And um, so I've, I've come up with the hashtag play more in 24, inspired by his Christmas speech. So that's, that's, I think that's, let's get behind yeah. that. Let's get behind yeah, that. that. Play yeah, more in yeah, 24. Yeah, yeah, Just play games. Yeah. Be better with my time. Yeah. I actually yeah. should say I've been quite, I've been ill. I've not been so well, but I'm much better now. It's like waking up. It's like Theoden and Lord of the Rings. I'm, I am full of energy now the new year has started. And nice. I'm, I am uh, clearing projects out. Especially after Dot cooked you that soup to help you get better. Yes, Dot, my little little kitten. I made a huge big cauldron of soup, and my little kitten Dot Dot went up on the hob, and it's touch controls, and she turned it up to maximum, and the soup burnt and was ruined. Oh no! <laughs> Dave came back to just a, a charcoal pot with nothing in it. Um, yeah. No, no, there was, there was plenty of burnt, smelly soup in it. Um, my New Year's resolution was to try and eat and do things just a little bit healthier, um, and um, that was that was it. Uh, and then just before work, I had to deal with that, and I was um, I was rather upset about it, to say the least. <laughs> Fine now. <laughs> well, I hope uh, all of our listeners had a, a lovely break over Christmas. And um, uh, we will ask you later as our question of the week about your New Year's retro resolutions. So I'm looking forward to hearing your answers on that. But we have stories to get through. So let's get into our first story, shall we, Dave? I really, really do think 2024 is the best year for gaming there has ever been. 
And I'm not just saying it, I mean it. And that's why I'm coming up with my story first this week. Rather than Neil, I've shuffled him into second place because that's the kind of bully I am. I think this is this is the best year. And we're not kids with all the time in the world, and that's the only problem. But what we've got is a wonderful world of gaming to explore. Everything that's come before is there already. And it's not just games, it's videos, it's books, it's documentaries, of course, podcasts too. But my story this week was going to be about Daggerfall Unity reaching 1.0. But there were so many other things that I'm already thrilled about that I've come out, I've learned about since we did our last episode, and I want to cover them all now. But first of all, let's talk about Daggerfall Unity. Daggerfall was the second Elder Scrolls games. So the, the more famous ones would be Morrowind, and then Oblivion, and then Skyrim. But Daggerfall was actually enormous, a huge game, great big open world game. It came out in 1996, and it really carried the legacy of both Ultima 7's huge areas to explore, along with Ultima Underworld's first-person view. Are you smiling because I've got Ultima in there, Neil? Uh, uh, you've got Ultima in on the first show of the year. It's already in there, yeah. Yes. I'm going to bring up Ultima even more. Um, maybe maybe they should... Maybe this year Duncan needs to do an Ultima count. Could you do a supercut of all the times we mention Ultima at the end of the year? <laughs> Avatar. Also, the modern Fallout games and the modern Elder Scroll games and even Starfield all have their roots in this. There's factions, there are quest lines for the factions, there are vampiracy, werewolves, all sorts of stuff's going on. Now, the big news is that a project called Daggerfall Unity is now so mature in its development that it's reached version 1.0. This is them saying it's ready to play. Fill your boots, get right into it. It's been in development for years. It's been playable for years, but this is at 1.0. Daggerfall Unity takes the game into a new engine. But over time, people have added significant mods to it. There's the, the, the Dream mod, which adds um, amazing visuals. And there's mods which add a huge number of quests, new guilds, new factions, all sorts of other stuff there. It's a really great game to play. There is a, a GOG, GOG cut of Daggerfall Unity, but it's a couple of years out of date and it's really not the one to play. So don't be, don't be misled into playing that one instead of the real 1.0. Um, it does need a copy of Daggerfall Unity, so that, that's then doing the, the familiar route of making it a mod rather than doing a remaster, a re-release, or a remake, which would be subject to getting told to be taken down. So to play Daggerfall Unity, you need to have bought Daggerfall, which presumably will please Bethesda. Uh, it's amazing what they've done. Links in the show notes. But that's not all. One of my favourite games, Ultima 7. Hey. Ultima 7 seems to be getting a massive visual makeover. This this really excited me. I don't, I don't know if you'd seen it before I tagged you on Twitter to, to show you it. Had you seen no. it? Um, because it popped up on my Twitter feed and it's like, oh, there's Ultima 7. It often pops up on my Twitter feed. Or uh, people still tweet Richard Garriott to say I've completed an Ultima and he congratulates them. And I like seeing yeah. that go past my yeah, feed. It's so really nice about it. So then this Ultima 7 screenshot scrolls past on my Twitter feed. And then, I don't want to ruin your story, Dave. Can I say what it did? See it, see it, see it. It rotated. It Suddenly, it was 3D. The whole world span. You know, it had what looked like the original sprites for all the trees and all the textures and everything. They weren't even textures. They were just tile maps. But it all moved, and it all moved perfectly. It wasn't glitchy. It wasn't buggy. It was just like, oh, my God. 
Ultimate 7 is 3D. Give it to me now. Now, I'm assuming it's not finished yet, and this was just a bit of a tech demo. Where are we with it, Dave? Ultima 7 was an isometric. It's not actually isometric. I know that's not the right word, but we call it isometric view. So it was. It looked like you were looking diagonally, kind of from an angle down at something in, in 3D, but really it was 2D images. It was 2D tiles. But this turns it into 3D so that it looks exactly the same, but you can spin it, you can zoom in and out, you can change the angles. Um, I hope this ends up in Exalt or similar, or Exalt is taken on to this. The project is called Ultima 7 Revisited. Um, thank you to Matchstick Dragon for submitting that to the subreddit, link in the show notes. Um, it'll be an amazing upgrade to Ultima 7, and I hope it sparks interest in Ultima 7 Neil. Yeah, I hope it does. And what I saw, it re retained that viewing angle. It just span. This doesn't need to go to the lengths of being a first-person remake or anything like that, although I'm sure the engine can do it. Just having that angle and being able to spin it and, and maybe zoom in and out a little bit, that's enough for me. I'd love that. Yeah, less is more. The, the problem with Ultima 7 is it was massive in its time, uh, but if you actually look at the map that the real map generated from the game of Ultima 7, it was really quite condensed. The cities took up most of the maps and everything was really close together. So my hope is if Ultima 7 gets remade, someone blows the map right up and has real wilderness and distances between things. That would make a lot of a difference to it. But I hope that Ultima 7 gets a remake. I think Ultima 4 to Ultima 7 is possibly in that sweet spot where they could get a modern remake, and as long as it's not filled with coins and DLC and all the rest of it, it could be amazing. Um, there's plenty happening on the hardware side. Uh, the Raspberry Pi Pico is getting everywhere. It's a really small but modestly powerful system on a tiny PCB. It's got the right balance between costing almost nothing and still being powerful enough to do useful things. They cost about a fiver. And now the part shortage seems to be over. There's loads of projects coming on and they're great and they're using these in all sorts of things. There's a brand new cartridge port add-on for the Atari ST line. It's cheap and based on the Pi Pico and it's called Sidecart. It's a cartridge ROM emulator it can also do a re real-time clock. It can do floppy disks and hard disks. But there's more to that. You can browse, Neil. Oh, I was just thinking about Pico. But sorry, I, I interrupted you at the wrong place there. But um, the Raspberry Pi Pico is in the GameCube-based Pico boot now, isn't it? So the, the Raspberry yes. Pi Pico is now starting to creep into consoles yeah. for multi-carts and um, uh CD-ROM drive emulators and things like that, or GD-ROM in that instance, but at a super low cost because the Pico is so available. Um, so I think it's I think we're going to see more and more of this, and I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So the the ST one, it not just allows you to, to to emulate ROM, so you can do a diagnostic cart, and it's even got an emergency mode to load a, a diagnostic cart into it that's not there already. But the real amazing thing is you can browse disk images online and load them in. So you don't need to download it. You can put it into the side of your thing. And over Wi-Fi, you can find the game you want to play. There's thousands available. It's the Little Green Desktop archive that it uses. And you can load games that way. Absolutely groundbreaking. It's 50 quid, I think, for it. There's a link in the show notes. There's a new SID replacement called SIDKick Pico. And it sounds really good. I'm not a, a massive said aficionado i don't know what the, what it really sounds like but to me it sounds accurate um so again that'll be cheap a nice drop-in replacement for it 
Oh, I'll have to look into that because even back in the day, there were the two different uh, Moss SID chips and some say one sounds better than the other. So presumably a Pico-based one allows you to choose which type of SID chip you want. Um, maybe yes. it even offers dual SIDs. I, I don't it know. is dual SID. It is? Yeah. Fantastic. Right, looking into that yeah. one then. Thank you. Flippy Drive is the Nintendo GameTube thing you mentioned. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. That's what it's so called. So that's Flippy the one that, that it, yep, it's, uh, it's described as a mod chip. But I don't. I think mod chip is just console users' language. It's an optical drive emulator, um, so it allows you to do stuff. There might have to be a certain amount of mod chipping, for example, for the emulated optical drive to load mm. ripped ISOs or, or something like that, or or to give you an alternative dashboard so that you yeah. can choose things. So I'm sure mod mod is probably the right word for it, Dave. Yeah. Um, it's a modification I, <laughs> to your game. It's not a mod chip. I, I've been testing this new thing, which I sent you before, which is called PicoMem. And if you look on the board there, you can see the Pico on that board. Uh, unless you're listening to the podcast, where you'll have to imagine it. Um, it, it right. so I, I, I'll describe it. It's a standard-sized 16-bit, some sort of size ISA board with Eight. a 8-bit sorry, um, ISA board with a Raspberry Pi Pico soldered directly onto the board in such a way that it's um is it a micro usb port on the back of the pico yes will be accessible from the isa slot on the rear of your pc alongside an sd card slot any other slots there any other ports there is a there's a there's a, a, a tiny little um flex something port on it uh, which allows you to do it, you can do anything you want with it so uh, the suggestion at the moment is that's going to be for for postcodes so when you've got a machine that won't book you could you could use that to to see what the postcode is to find out how, how long along the, the process it gets what i really wanted you to describe was the size of the of the raspberry pi pico because i want to make sure people who are listening to the podcast understand it's a tiny little thing it's about it the size is. of a finger it's about the size i'm trying to think of something that i could describe it as um half a sausage it's about the size of an iPad, uh, sorry, an iPod um, mini. Do you remember the little ones that had no screen and just had a dial on? Like the that. ones that were about half the size of a, size of a USB stick. Yeah, D Dave's, uh, sorry, Chris is holding up a USB stick. The size of a USB stick. A USB stick. Half a Which pencil. is a half a sausage. Half a sausage. Um, and if it's the, 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 the Pico Gus project, it's a pig sausage. Um <laughs> PicoMem does memory, um, but it also does way more. So it'll provide um, 128K. So if you've got a, a 512K old PC, it'll take it up to 640K max of conventional memory. It'll do EMS for 286s. Uh, it also does hard drive emulation like XTIDE, and it will mount floppy images as well. And as of yesterday... It will emulate an N2000 network card over Wi-Fi. So this is a full ISA network card on this little thing. And it's an old network card it emulates, so one that has drivers for that are compatible. So you can have a packet driver loaded. You could, you could go into MTCP and you could access the drive on your old computer from another one remotely through this. What I didn't see there, Dave, was a floppy header. So does it just do floppy emulation through the ISA port? Yes, so um, does that show up as your A drive or your B drive, or can you configure can it? Do. You can do. You can configure clever. it to be either. That's good. Um, it's, got its own, it's got its own boot ROM, so the boot ROM enables that to happen. Um, 
it has a USB port, so it can be a USB hub. You could have a, at the moment, it does USB mouse, but it will do USB mouse, USB keyboard, even a USB joystick. Um, post codes will hopefully come soon. Um, and is that, and, sorry, I've, I've got lots of questions. <laughs> is the USB yeah. mouse seamless? So does it convert that to, say, a PS2 mouse or a serial mouse seamlessly it, to a, the PC? There's a DOS driver for it. In the same way so, that we okay, so you okay. yeah, load a driver in the same okay. way you would for a PS2 or a serial mouse. So, it, so if it, I used it, a USB joystick in, I don't know, let's say Wing Commander, which would be expecting a joystick in the game port, would it just show up as a game it, port it, joystick? It, it can't do that yet, but yes. Okay. Yes, that, a, that's well, what is dangerous. This is the other thing with the Pico Pie is it's got a little button on the Pico Pie, hasn't it? And you can hold it down when you turn it on and that puts it into flash mode. So it just turns up like a USB memory stick when you plug the USB cable in and you just drag and drop a new firmware onto it and that's it. It updates. That's that's the beauty. That's right. That's exactly how the firmware is updated. And, yeah. and it's, it's a live project being developed just now. I, I bought one of them. Um, the guy that's developing it, Freddie V, uh, he... Um, he put a few out, he gave a, a few people the opportunity to, to pay for one to help him develop it. Now it's in, in more systems. Our friend Chris, he's got one, for example. Retrotech Chris is another guy that's got it. There's loads of people, I, 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 loads of people have them at the moment. Well, I say loads, maybe a dozen, and are helping them work on it. I'm not much help because I'm not very clever with these things. I, I'm, a, I'm a user rather than a developer. But it's going to do so much more. It's going to be a Swiss Army knife uh, for your PC. It's going to end up with almost anyone who's got an old XT or AT is going to want to put one of these things in to do one of the many functions or more of the many functions that it does. Um, so for my own IBM 30, IBM Model 30 PS2286, it's going to be a network card and EMS, and currently it's doing RAM. Um, it is still in development though so it's not available to buy and it's all these features aren't there and working properly yet it's um they're going to get fixed that's what the, the, the troubleshooting is going on that's what all these extra functions are doing but it is absolutely incredible i'm so excited by it it's things that w we wouldn't have thought were possible uh just even just a few years ago yeah i like i like the sound of that i also have a ps2 that needs fixing up so that sounds ideal for that um, and it's just that nice balance of not trying to push the hardware further um, than anything can really take advantage of. It's just trying to give you the perfect package of everything that you, you could have wanted. Yeah. If you could afford yeah. everything back in the day, yeah. put it all in at once, there it is, yeah. which I really yeah. like that approach. And go, going, going back to the, the SID chip, um, we might see these little things replace complicated chips in our old machines when they die. I know that FPGA is talked about as a way to do it, but these these uh, Picos running some kind of bare metal software could be the way, flash them up to be whichever custom chip you want and stick them in, and maybe, maybe it would work that way. I, I'm not sure. I don't know what. The, the sky's the limit for it. The, the sky is the limit, and, you know, a, a Pico Pi can also complement a low-cost FPGA. You know, the two could work hand-in-hand yeah. hand in future. So it's exciting, exciting times. We're off to a good start to the year. So, Neil, what's caught your eye so far for 2024? What are you looking forward to? Well, the thing that's most caught my eye is a thing I can't tell you about. <laughs> it's from the uh, Deep in the Skunk Works of Heba. I know they're working on – they've got a whole roadmap of really cool things, and we're on the cusp of um, – sharing the latest thing uh, and it's very cool and that's all i can say about that so uh, hopefully in future episodes we, we can share that um i also know looking ahead to the year that nintendo are discontinuing online services for the wii u and the 3ds did either of you own those 
Wii U 3DS? Neither. No, no, no. no. Um, so I guess if um, I'd used them, I didn't own them. I had a Wii, didn't have a Wii U. I got a Wii U. Um, yeah. Still, yeah. still using it. Still yeah. So, I mean, if they're flicking the big red switch and turning off online services, does this mean they are now officially retro? Wii U, 3DS? They probably are considered retro already anyway, but even more retro, and I think I can put them in the museum soon. Uh, and, of course, 3D, 3DS version of OutRun is amazing. Uh, That's it, a little can, handheld thing. It's a little yeah. handheld, but it's got a little bit of 3D kind of depth. So you've got a slider, so you can slide how deep you want that 3D to look. So it's got a version of OutRun that actually has... A little bit of depth perception in there. You know, the car is closer than the corners. It's very clever, and it looks amazing. It's the perfect game for the 3DS. Not a Ferrari, um, though. Because they didn't have the licensing. No, they changed no, it. Anyway, no. it's still fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, Tomb Raider 1 to 3, uh, a remaster, is slated for 2024. So we're going to see how that fares. Um, obviously, remasters are always they always make me a bit nervous because mechanics of games um you know they've come on a long way um and the the more recent tomb raiders some of them included some of those sort of cutscenes that i hate which are still 3d rendered but it's like oh push x now push y now push up now and it becomes almost like a dragon's layer cutscene to go from scene to scene within the game so i hope they don't incorporate things like that into the original but I do hope they introduce some new features and some new mechanics to make it not just a straight remake. That'll be interesting to see. And I also feel the same about a reimagining of the horror survival game, Alone in the Dark. That's due to come out, um, a remake of the original, because there have been sequels to Alone in the Dark, but they're going back to the original, that Victorian house. Um, did you guys play that back in the day? You could be, you could choose yes. if you were a guy or a woman and you started in the loft, didn't you, in the... the the weird low polygon creature kicked its way through the window uh, and you started shooting at it. Great game. Um, often overlooked. I mean, it's not. It's it's definitely not a forgotten game, but it's often overlooked because Resident Evil took that template of 2D backgrounds with 3D characters in the front of it from different angles. Resident Evil really ran with that. So I would like to see Alone in the Dark wear the crown again because I think it deserves it. Um, oh, so in 2024, I sent Stephen Leary a thing. As a result, he's developing a thing. Stephen Leary, who you may know as Terrible Fire, made lots of accelerators for uh, Amigas um, and other systems. Yes, Dave? I brought the thing to him. So Dave I know what the thing, thing is. Yeah. 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 I know yeah. what the thing is. I'm not going to say, I know he's also got another thing that you don't know about that's not related to it. And I'm excited about that thing he's doing as well. Uh, and okay. he's finally launched the TF. 1232 which is the terrible fire 1230 but this one has an fpu because we all know an amiga without an fpu is totally useless <laughs> oh yeah all those games um, that take advantage of yeah, it yeah um, you can um yeah what's coming up can, he's doing lots this year you can render your vista pro scenes quicker than ever um yes. but yeah it's not that it's not he's also done his msx project it's not that it's another thing and i'm very excited to see the thing and to test the thing out it will it will be on the channel has Stephen um, showed you his thing uh, he's shown me the thing that i that you took for him so i've seen the thing working but i haven't seen the thing that he's making to go in the thing not yet chris do you have any idea what we're talking about i have a thing i've just checked it's still there that's all i know fair <laughs> enough <laughs> and uh yeah big news guys for 2024 i can exclusively reveal 
and this is huge news, Half-Life 3 has a release date of... You guys. Really? What? Really? What are you talking about? <laughs> so you broke up a little bit there. Say it again. <laughs> Half-Life 3 has a release date of... Amazing. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to put holidays in at work so I can play it when it comes out. Fantastic. Chris? Ah, 2024. A um, few things I'm looking forward to. I think probably the first, I say looking forward to, um, Kickstart, which is the expo run by Ravi Abbott. I'm looking forward to that. I may be there. Do you mean workbench? At, at this, no, I don't mean workbench. <laughs> Who would call it workbench? Who would accidentally call it workbench? <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day we'll find out uh but yeah kickstart um I, I may i may be there we're still working out when we're going to be in the uk this year um so i'm I'm really hoping i might be able to slide it in yeah for anyone who doesn't know kickstart is an amiga based expo that happens in nottingham and ravi abbott of the retro hour ran the first one last year and it was a huge success and having spoken to him i know he's got plans to make this one even bigger um, a bigger expo. I don't want to spoil any of the things that he wants to reveal. And he probably, you know, he's just told me a few little tidbits that got me really excited, including um, some of the people that he's got in the the after party. Because a big thing for Ravi is the music. In the evening, he has a great big party after the expo on the Saturday night, and he's got some really cool people coming along to that. So I think it's going to be a great year. And if you can make it, Chris, it'd be a great excuse for us to meet up. Do I do I get a ticket to the after party? Hang on, this is. This is me just booking tickets <laughs> to Kickstart Expo and done. That was the Acorn Electron keyboard, so it probably didn't go through. Um, <laughs> Chris, Chris going might be the might be what swung it for me to go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Look, what we do is go, yeah, because it's going to be a big trip this year. So we've got a list of things we'd like to do, and it's on there. It's actually at the top of the list. Yeah, from we my need to get side. your face on the posters. So, oh. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I'll be there. But anyway, I'm looking forward to the potential of that. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out, regardless of whether I make it or not. Q4, Retro Games Limited, according to their teasers that came out at the end of last year. That's This is when they'll release a full-size console. So that's the end of 2024. I don't want to wish the whole year away, but most of us are assuming that's when they're going to do a full-size Amiga. Um, in fact, I think if if, if it isn't that, then they never live that down. Yes, Atari Panther, Atari Jaguar re-release. Oh, um, but yeah, so hopefully that's what it is, and I won't have the money to buy one after the trip to the UK. Uh, but anyway, so looking forward to that, and and also obviously the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Plus, which lots of people seem to be enjoying. Uh, apparently, they're releasing a few updates, and according to what I heard on the um, on the Retro Hour, they're even thinking about maybe adding CRT filters down the line. Um, so that's that's an update. I'm, I'm both, I don't know, I'm sort of in the middle. On one side, I'm really excited about that because I think if you look at the, I'm not talking the scan lines that you saw on the rubbish um, yeah. flashback units. They were literally just black lines across the gameplay. That's not what anybody wants. But if you've played the Atari 50th collection and you turn on CRT filters, they're excellent. They're, they're really good. They're just right. They add a bit of softness. They add the lines mm. in, but they're not overdone. Um, mm-hmm. And they add that little bit of blur, and that, and they just mm. work. So they're that's what I'd yeah. That's what I'd like to see them add. Um, but what I we were a fickle lot, aren't we, us fans? I don't want to see a menu. So I'd rather either have them or not have them. And either is fine with me as a consumer. Um, but if I've got to jump into a menu, then that breaks the illusion of 
playing with something that up to this point looks and feels original. What about if there's a secret combination to get into the menu and set it like a service menu, then once it's set, you don't know where the menu's there? Or would that satisfy you? What would oh, satisfy me more? I don't want to see a menu. Um, <laughs> it's Ben, I've isn't it? Ben's the, Ben's the project. It's a secret key uh, combination of switches or whatever that literally just turns them on or off. I don't want to see no, a no, menu. No, 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 no. What it needs to come cool. with... What it needs to come with is a recreated 1980s style TV remote control, and that's got the buttons Ooh. to turn your things on. <laughs> I, I fixed it. I fixed it. Ben, if you're listening, it is Ben, isn't it? I think the guy that's in charge yeah. of the project. Yeah. I, I fixed it. Okay. They've got the button on the back that switches it between 16.9 and 4x3. What about 16.9? No CRT filter. 4x3 CRT filter. Job done. There you go. I don't even want any payback for that. I think that's a fantastic solution. <laughs> okay, what Ben. If it's five, what if it's five by four? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope. I hope. I hope. Don't call it four by three. I hope all of our listeners have a wonderful new year. Uh, find lots of new things to do. And I'm echo, I want to echo what Chris said right back at the start of the show. Play more in 24. I need to embrace that. I hope everyone does. Um, not just retro, there, there, there's lots of amazing things happening in new games. We saw Baldur's Gate 3 last year. Maybe that's going to change things. It's going to show that you don't need to have horrible DLC and coins and all those microtransactions to make a good popular game. Maybe that's going to open the door for more of that. Um, if there's any new hardware projects that I've not mentioned, please let me know about them in the comments or on YouTube or on our Discord. So a very happy new year to you all. A very happy new year to our patrons who have kindly supported us over the last year. Uh, we had some new ones over Christmas, who I'm sure Dave will mention in housekeeping a little bit later. And a, a very happy new year to our sponsor, PCBWay, who have been helping you this week, Dave, with some new boards which have arrived, haven't they? Yeah, so these are the it's two the same board. It's a ZX Nouveau Plus 3. Thank you for Neil from NLK Media, who actually was ordering at the same time as me, so he ordered them and sent them on to me. This is the ZX Nouveau 128 Plus 3, which is based on the Harlequin, which is a recreation of the ZX Spectrum 128 and a board that fits into a 48K Spectrum case. Um, it has, on the side there, um, a header for a floppy disk drive. So I'm going to make this, and I'm going to connect it to an Amstrad 3-inch drive, which I hope works. I don't know that anyone's actually done it, so I'm not sure it will, but hopefully it'll give me a Spectrum Plus 3, except it'll be in this case, which is made oh, the by Smith. This is a yes. Metrum, yeah. This is this is a 3D-printed case, although it doesn't look like 3D-printed because it's done on a textured bed, so you don't get the kind of the fabric looking to it. Um, and it has a PCB in there, which I will solder in um, Cherry MX brown keys, and I'll have a mechanical keyboard oh, Spectrum, and it's nice, nice, neat little thing which uses three-inch discs. It'll be my Wonder Spectrum. I don't know what will happen with, between it and my Spectrum next. Uh, one of them has to cut. One of them has <laughs> to be the winner. So I don't know which one will end up being out more often. I don't know, but I'm really excited about it. So thank you, PCBWay, for making that. They can do them in a variety of colours. That's the black one you saw there. Got lots of soldering to do. But they can do not just PCBs. They can assemble them for you. They can CNC mill things. They can 3D print. Thank you very much, PCB, for, for sponsoring us. 
Yeah, so if you're interested in that project, just go to pcbway.com, go to Shared Projects and look up the ZX Nouveau Plus 3. It's listed there by its creator. I think it's Don Superfo, isn't it? That's the, the Don Superfo, yeah. Yeah. Superfo. What a great name he's got. So, uh, you can find it on pcbway.com and we thank them for supporting the show. Before we sat on our PC and launched Steam, where we could find a 20-year-old game in our library, run it and think, sure, it's an older game, but it doesn't look that bad. We had massive generational leaps. As little as three years was an eon in gaming terms in the early 90s, such was the pace of innovation in hardware. A Commodore 64, Amstrad or Spectrum jumping up to an Atari ST or an Amiga, an Atari ST or Amiga jumping to a 486 PC, a 486 PC, its CPU handling everything, jumping to a Pentium and a Voodoo 3D graphics card. These are moments that once experienced slammed the door shut on our current generational perspective of gaming and created the desire and the drive to find a way to upgrade to the next one. And and for me, that usually involved finding someone to buy my current PC or computer so I would have the funds to afford the next one on top of a paper round or a pot washing job or whatever else I needed to do to get there. A big example of this for me was the difference between 3D games on the Amiga and 3D games on the PC. And I would hazard a guess for Dave, 3D games on the Atari ST and 3D games on the PC. And I don't just mean those pseudo 3D influenced games like Doom. Dave is already, I knew this would get you going, Dave. You're hopping up and down. Go on. It's, it, it, this, this is a fantastic story for you to pick. There's so much to talk about. But for me, it wasn't so much about 3D. It was about hard disk is about hard disk games that that was the big difference between okay. the pc and the sd it was the ability to have it installed on a hard disk to have lots of data there and for the game to be able to access it all fast rather than disk swapping and games which you couldn't even do even if you did disk swap certainly Absolutely. a part of it but um yeah. at the the period of time we're talking about PCs generally had a hard disk as standard. Atari STs had a hard disk controller, but you always catered to the lowest common denominator. So games were often yeah. made to be run yeah. from floppy first. Always. Amiga, yeah. you could add a hard disk to Amiga, but you know they were really made to run from floppy first and foremost. So we didn't really see those advantages in all of our games. And I'm talking about games when I talk about 3D, like Microprose's F1 GP, B17, F19, and other flight sims. Yes, they were available on the Amiga, but the frame rate on my friend's PC was silky smooth. It was next level. I wanted a slice of that pie. And then we got to the point beyond that where games simply weren't available on my platform. Ultima 7, there's one for you, Duncan. Need for Speed, uh, Microsoft Flight Sim, and X-Wing. Not just a flight sim, but a space flight sim wrapped up in the Star Wars universe with cinematic cutscenes, familiar theme tunes, and characters with a almighty good versus evil storyline. There's Dave holding the box up there. I which had to have it. Holding up. Which, which system are, is this for? Uh, the Commodore Amiga. No, it's not. No, it's not. We'll come on to that. I had to have it, and I knew from the moment I saw it, it was never coming out on the Amiga. Uh, there's Chris holding up his copies. What have you got there, Chris? You're a bit blurry. Is it X-Wing versus TIE Fighter? No, what have you got, no, Chris? both X-Wings. So one is the um, Collector's CD-ROM edition, which I've yet, yeah. I've yet, yeah. To in, yet to even install, and the other is the original five floppy disk. There we go. So we talked of um, hard disks, we talked of 3D, and, of course, CD-ROMs were available on the Amiga. You could get CD-ROM for the Atari ST, couldn't you? But again, lowest common denominator, it wasn't so widely installed. You know, the install base was so low that 
games weren't really made to cater for it. But that was a different story on the PC. Now, one man asked the question back in the day. He wrote to LucasArts in 1993 asking, will X-Wing come to the Amiga? And he actually got a reply for the, from them, and he's posted um, up on Twitter, I think it was, or wherever he's shared this. Um, it, it appeared in our in our subreddit. Uh, uh, posted the reply from LucasArts. I'm just going to reply the bulk of it, uh, read out the bulk of it here because it's really interesting. So LucasArts say, I wish I had better news for you. We will not be making an X-Wing version for the Amiga. I should have done the voice, shouldn't I? I've still been waiting for I wish I had better news for you. <laughs> That's a terrible impression. <laughs> we will not be making X an X-Wing version for the Amiga. While it is true that the Amiga is powerful enough for the latest releases, yeah, I knew that would get Dave going as well, we have been counting um, our, on our overseas market to carry the Amiga while the US market remains slight in comparison to IBM. Unfortunately, our European distributors will no longer be releasing full price products for the Amiga. This makes it impossible for us to stay in the black where the Amiga is concerned. Most Amiga users think that it's easy to port from the IBM to the Amiga by using a process called dithering to enhance the <laughs> graphics. And that, that, is a, that is a gross simplification, isn't it? But there you go. While the capabilities of the Amiga match the IBM, it is almost like rebuilding a new game to make the Amiga version look and act like the IBMs. This is why it's so costly for us. I hope you can understand. And then they go on to talk about fan clubs and the love of the movie franchise itself. Um, there's a lot to pick apart there. I mean, the closest comparison you can make to uh, X-Wing is, is um, Wing Commander, which did come out on the Amiga, a 3D space game, but it didn't have 3D shaded ships like X-Wing does. It had sprites, and even that was pretty slow. I loved it on my Amiga 500, but it was pretty painful. Chris? What about Epic? Because Epic was 3D Polygon, and yeah, it had cutscenes. match. And it had that's cut a really, yeah, that's yeah. a really good match. Epic was um, a, a massively modified version of the F-29 Retaliator engine by DID, and um, it was um we we used to see these these epic space battle um mega demos on the amiga i don't know if you ever watched those and i used to watch them and think oh if they can do this why can't we have an amiga game that looks like this and then epic was the answer to those mega demos i thought um but it wasn't on the same level as x-wing versus tie fighter whether you thought it was a good game or not it didn't have the whole star wars law sorry x-wing yeah. didn't have the star wars law wrapped up around it so um there you go Interesting, though, that the letter suggests the Amiga was capable of those 3D shaded polygons, the cutscenes of the PC game, but they say the market wasn't sufficient to justify the cost of development, at least according to Livia Mackin, or Makin, of LucasArts Games Product Support. That's who, whose name is on the letter. Dave, no mention of the Atari ST, though. No, I, I, I don't think that's a surprise. I think Atari ST owners were more realistic and um, about the, the, the amount of Atari STs out there and the capability of them. I don't know why Amiga owners were always trying to fight against the march of time, um, but um, I remember Amiga owners being furious at Ed for not doing a port of Doom and the arguments on Usenet when John Carmack says they weren't going to bother trying. Um History has shown that the Ed and LucasArts are right, though. To run Doom on an Amiga, they need to have to recode it entirely. Uh, and when you see Doom running on an Amiga now, 
it's not usually an Amiga 500. It's usually an accelerated Amiga 1200 with a, some kind of terrible fire or similar in it. Um, X-Wing is a fantastic PC game. It's one of my favorites. I love playing it. I think all three of us love playing it, X-Wing. Chris is a huge fan of it as well, I know. The whole Star Wars thing going on, you need all that. And I don't think for one minute the Amiga would be capable of the whole thing unless it was accelerated and it had a hard disk. I think each individual part of X-Wing, you might have been able to get an Amiga to do that part, but I don't think it could do the whole thing. It came on five high-density hard disks uh it, it had high density disk and required a hard disk and required a 386 and needed a, over a one megabyte if you wanted to get sound those things amiga couldn't do so it would already have to be somehow limping along to get those on an amiga or it would have to be designed for an amiga with a hard disk and an accelerator and the market for that would be absolutely minuscule um I think that the truth with Amiga is it in, two, in 1985, it was phenomenal. I mean, absolutely groundbreaking, and it was still good five, six years later. But by 1993, it was showing its age, and it just it couldn't really do this unless it had a massive installed base to the point where people were adding accelerators and hard disks to it in numbers. Do you think if the Amiga 1200 had been a successful launch that that install base would have been sufficient to persuade LucasArts and the power would have been sufficient for an X-Wing game? Stock 1200 so, with a hard disk? Uh, stock 1200 with a hard disk, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps, because it was the O20. It did have an IDE controller inside. You could easily put... Um, for people who are not aware, the Amiga 1200 was designed so you could just plug a hard disk straight inside it. Uh, and it, it was a great idea. It, the only problem with this, what you said, at the lowest common denominator, games were never designed to use expansions, really, until you got to PC. It was always designed for the base machine. And the base machine, I don't think, could have cut it. Um, Chris? I think, ironically, we, we're kind of touching on one of the, the realities of what killed the Amiga, and that is the fact that you, there was this need to aim at the lowest common denominator, whereas yeah. in PC land, it was acceptable to put the, re, the, re, the recommended and the required specs on the box, whereas on, Amiga games didn't do that, you know, because and, and the, maybe that's what Amiga, held it back. Yeah. The, the Amiga you had, most people had a 500. In 1993, mm. hardly anyone would have the 1200 yet because it was it was only just out. I think later in the year, in fact, it might have been it might even been that letter written before it came out. Was it not? Was it the end of 1992 it came out, or was it during would have 1993? Been 1993? Wouldn't it? Um, anyway, I don't know. Um, sorry, what's yeah. that? The Amiga 1200. Yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, 92 October 92. Okay, 399 so yeah, pounds. Just out. So. The problem with Amiga is, unlike PCs where you had a wide spectrum of what people had and you could pitch it a third of the way up or half the way up or three quarters of the way up, everybody had the base spec and only a few people had the, the expansions for it, really. Um, I switched from ST to PC in 1993, and it was because of this. I was saving up to do it in 1992. In particular, what swung it for me was Ultima 6 on the ST. You had to unpack it onto other discs and it was neil that reminded me of this last yeah, year yeah you got you got it on what three discs and you had to unpack it to six discs or something like that yeah. didn't you and there was yeah. so much swapping to the point where you learned doing certain things caused a disc swap and you avoided doing them and that's not good gameplay so yeah. what origin did with ultima 6 is what ed and lucas arts refused to do 
And to be fair, Ultima 6 is a much, much less demanding game. They gave it to us on Honor STs and Amigas and showed us this is why you want to go into a PC with a hard disk. And when Ultima 7, X-Wing and so on came out on the PC and not on the ST, I understood why, and I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think to fight it or object to it, yeah. like yeah. what this 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 guy here has done. So, I, I, I yeah. we shouldn't be too critical. Obviously, he, he was just a wee guy at that point, and we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. Uh, we, we have the, all the knowledge that's on the internet now, and talked about it for years, so we know better than he did then. So, I can. I, we shouldn't be too critical of, of of his aspirations for it. One thing you haven't mentioned is he asked for his letter. Only George Lucas can understand this. <laughs> it didn't go to George Lucas. I don't ever remember feeling bit- bitter about a game not being released for the Amiga. I don't ever remember, like like you said, I, I understood why it was out on the PC yeah. and not on the Amiga, uh, and I, I understood the capabilities of the machine. Um, and when you're that young, you're always looking ahead. I had no nostalgia. I didn't feel nostalgia for anything. I wasn't collecting old things because they were retro when I was you know, a teenager, that just didn't exist in my head. You were always looking ahead to the next thing. And if that meant going to a PC, that meant going to a PC. Um, LucasArts did support the Amiga well, though, it's worth pointing out, especially with their point-and-click adventure games up to the point of CD-ROM being integral to the storyline. So, for example, the Amiga did get Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. It didn't get games like The Dig with its cinematic soundtrack um, and its cutscenes, or Full Throttle, which was basically a, you know, a cartoon in its, in its presentation. It was so good, and that demanded the 650-odd megs of a CD-ROM. These games were also helped by the fact that ScumVM, which was the foundation of their adventure games, is a virtual machine at its heart. So porting a game like that is far easier than rewriting x86 assembly code for a 68,000-based machine in in the case of something like x-wing i'm assuming it was optimized with assembly code to be as good as it was it wasn't all written in c so um yeah dave yeah the it's also worth pointing out that uh and yes i think lucas arts are fair not doing this but i think um they used amigas for making some of the artwork for they did yes yeah yeah point and clicks the the, the amiga was a, a many people will know the Amiga. Amiga is a fantastic graphics design tool, or at least was for deluxe paint at one point in time for pixel art. Amazing. And they use Amigas for making the stuff in. I think Monkey Island and Loom, and I'm not sure at what point they switched to PCs when deluxe paint went that way, but for at least a, a while, LucasArts did use Amigas to develop stuff. So I think that made it even easier to justify um, putting the, the Scum VM Sorry, the Scum, not Scum VM. Scum VM is what came after the Scum engine on um, some of these games on the Amiga. Yeah, um, I, I should have remembered. I interviewed Mark Ferrari of Lucasfilm Games, who was based at uh, what's it called, Rat Skywalker Ranch, um, and yeah, is he an outrun? Speck of Amigas. No, he wasn't in Outrun. Uh, yeah. When he turns a corner, they just Licensing. flip him. He just flips. <laughs> His sprite flips. Um, no, uh, but he was using, um, and then he was using still deluxe paint, but on PCs, I, I seem to remember he was talking about. Um, and because also because hard drives, because of uh, yeah. ability to share with the developers who were developing on PCs and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts on this? I know you're a big Star Wars fan. Yeah, big Star Wars fan, big X-Wing fan, and obviously a big Amiga fan. Um, and, I mean, I-, I jumped to PC. Let's you know bring that up front. I jumped to PC around the same time as Dave, 1993. It's 
what we did. Um, but I, for a while now, retrospectively, I've thought surely Amiga could have done X-Wing with compromises. Of course, there would have been compromises. It, it's not going to be the same as the PC version, just as, you know, in the 16-bit era, the Spectrum port, if there was, still was one, was not the same as the Amiga port. You know, you, there's going to be compromises every time. Um X-Wing played fine on my first PC, which was a used 386DX, which was a crap machine. Um, and it played absolutely fine on that. Um, and in but, fact, recently when not, I... Not, I, not for, 1990, for 1993, a 386DX would be a great machine to get. Uh, yeah, but you bought that because you couldn't afford the 486DX. That's the reality of it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's the reality. It was, still, it was still a lot more expensive than Omega would have been. Though. It was a massive, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he's more expensive. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I mean, I, I recently compared, although this is, uh, no, the A500 still slots into this, but I compared um, Gunship on the Amiga to Gunship on uh, uh, um, uh, 386DX, similar to the one that I grew up with. And the Amiga cheats, of course, using Dithering, but the result is actually a, a nicer game, um, a, a, a more smooth scrolling game, whereas Gunship, now that I've gone back and played it on similar to hardware to what I had back in the day, it's actually very choppy, no pun intended. Um so space simulators, like I said before, the closest we got was Epic, I feel, on the Amiga, uh, but that was a bit crap. It, it, it was a nice experiment, um, but it was a skybox, you know, even in the, the in-depth space battle scenes, there was a skybox that you could easily find the edge of, and if you then turned back and looked at the enemy fleets, they were just going backwards and forwards. There was lots of tricks done behind the scenes to make it work um, with the with the power. But that ran, I mean, without me investigating and sort of breaking it back in the day, it was an Amiga 500 with one mega RAM and it played absolutely fine. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it could have been done. If it was an AGA machine, like we've touched on, I think it could have easily been done, absolutely. But I agree with you, Dave, it would need to be hard drive installable. And in fact, I'm going to forget most of the other stuff I put in the notes here. I think I think what we we are hitting on is is potentially part of what killed the Amiga is is this incess insisting on making games that work for the A500 and everything beyond. We did start yep. to get AGA games, but even those, it didn't specify that you had Here's to Here's some extra colour gradients. Here's a few yep. more colours on screen, and it's just, oh. Yeah, and, and, and what I'm thinking about is, you know, and I'm sure we all fall in, fell into this trap back in the day. What forced us to upgrade our PCs once we've got one? What forced us to upgrade one? What forced us to buy more RAM, buy a sound card, buy a better graphics card was the fact that the game that you wanted to buy said on the side of the box that your piece of rubbish that you've been holding on to for the last five years won't play it anymore and you need to do some upgrading if you want to play this latest and greatest game why was that not done down the amiga line yeah and i think that problem you mentioned of the a500 was exacerbated by the fact that commodore then went oh we'll bring out the a600 we'll oh, we'll, we'll you know let to a lesser extent we'll make the cdtv basically an a500 that was earlier but the 600 yeah. It should have just been his twelve hundred. This is the new baseline. Get yes, on board. Hundred yeah. percent. Get on board. 100%. And the yeah. and the twelve hundred should have been more powerful. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. We're going into <laughs> <laughs> whole different tangent. But uh, yeah, I think uh, another fun aspect that I haven't mentioned about this letter is um, the person asking the question. 
It's written by a chap called Christian, also known as Retro Recipes over on YouTube. So it was him who found his uh, original reply. That's his letter. Um, I don't know what his upgrade path was, but I imagine it wouldn't be long before he joined the ranks of IBM PC compatible owners, the Joys of X-Wing, Dark Forces, uh, and all the other Star Wars games that would follow in the decade to come. And of course, for uh, Dave's just reminded me on the notes there, uh, he did get a, a small part in a Star Wars film further down the line so um uh, maybe he should write back to who was it now who who, who sent that reply that would um, be great <laughs> livia mackin if you're listening christian had the last laugh to the wonderful to the wonderful it's time for housekeeping slash dave's briefs i'm going to jump in before you say anything, Dave, because uh, I just had a message from someone who's ordered a charity calendar. It's the last chance to buy the Cave charity calendar, the Retro Collective charity calendar. Go to retrocollective.co.uk, click on shop, and you can buy the calendar. 100% of all sales um, are going to the Sirencester Opportunity Group, a local preschool that I want to support. Um, and it's a lovely calendar of video game boxes, not just big boxes, small boxes and everything in between for you to hang on your wall. So last chance, go and grab yourself a calendar. Dave, your briefs. I'd like to welcome nine new patrons. Thank you very much for signing up. Andy, Wojciech, Mark R, Enver, Mark D, Joseph, Michael, Gary, and Lord Borak. Thank you so much for signing up over the Christmas break. Thank, Thank you very much for, the, for our Christmas gift. Um, if you'd like to join our wonderful Twirler patrons, then what's the URL, Chris? Something.patron.com. <laughs> there you go. Neil. Something.patreon.com <laughs> forward slash this week in retro. Or check the show Thank notes. Thank you very much. That's what I said. Something.patron.com. <laughs> um, News in brief this week, Exodos version 5 has been released a few weeks ago. It's a fantastic packaged up way of playing DOS games on a modern PC. It's a launcher, which in some cases can even download them for you. Launches them in DOSBox or ScumVM, configuration for different sound and so on, but now includes magazines and all sorts of other quality of life additions. Exodos is basically the entire history of PC gaming in one package. And I'm trying to think of a way that I can incorporate it into the museum because it would be a brilliant way for people to browse that history. Of someone's, just this weekend, somebody said to me, have you got Oregon Trail? I was like, well, no, I haven't actually. I know I should have it out, but I haven't. And it's going to, you know, in the time that we're open today, I'm not going to have the time to legally download it, no. get it onto the machine, get it set up for you to play. Legally but, download if I had Exodus on a trolley, I could wheel in and go, there you go, whatever you want, have a go. You, you could probably put it on a tiny little hand-sized, a palm-sized PC connected up to, to the back of a monitor, and you can have a curated list of games that you put there, but if a, if a volunteer um, wants to, if someone requests a specific game, the volunteer might be able to find it for them on that. That would exactly. be wonderful if you set that up. Say. Good, so I need to find a PC about the size of a sausage. I can pop that on a TV. Maybe a pack of sausages. Pack of sausages, about the size of a pack of yeah. sausages, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, the A500 Mini has got a new firmware and a new classic gauntlet-like game, although I think it came out before Gauntlet, Time Bandit has been added on. The, the, you never died. 
You mean you never died, Dave? Let's still get nope. updates. Still going. <laughs> you can never die. Um, although you can add your own games to it anyway. Um, an ancient and the oldest version of DOS known has been found and uploaded, and this is the ancestor to PC and MS-DOS. Um, there's a great video submitted to the subreddit on the tools that were used to make Doom. And a bit of a spoiler, it wasn't an Amiga. Um, there's way more that come up over Christmas. Uh, head over to the subreddit and browse. Have a look through, add some comments if you want. Um, um, yeah, that's uh, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where we encourage you to go and read the stories, comment on the stories, and also submit any stories that you find interesting that you might like us to discuss. Now, I believe. Uh, I believe yeah. Chris has an announcement to make. Oh, can we no. not? Can we not let him do it? We've been stopping oh, him doing it for ages. Like, can we like stop? Stop him doing it since take October the, last this, year. <laughs> take the, this week in retro flag is going to half mast. We shall uh, hear what Chris has to say. Chris, I'm, le- I'm leaving. <laughs> no, <But> yeah. <laughs> sorry. And quick like a band aid. Although it's taken three months. <laughs> but yeah, no, look, firstly, I just want to say thanks to Neil and Duncan for taking me on in the first place and Dave for coming on board and all he does unseen behind the scenes also. He does a heap of stuff, taking over a heap of admin tasks and does a fantastic job. It's been amazing. Um, as hopefully most people know, I don't have tickets on myself and I have no, I had no clue that I was on Neil's radar when he, you know, first um, asked me to come on board with This Week in Retro. Um, and, you know, when I think back, all the amazing guests we've had and I've been able to rub shoulders with virtually, of course, um, people I'd never thought I'd be working on something with, including, let's face it, we've had at least two TV personalities on as well as massive YouTubers. It, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and, and and the listeners as well, you know, when I hear that people have incorporated us, and so I'm part of that, into their weekly routine, into their lifestyle. That's the highest praise I think you can ever have. Um, So I feel privileged. I never feel entitled. I feel privileged to be involved in one of the best, if not the best things I've ever been involved in and may ever be involved in. I don't know what the future's got. Um, And when Neil did ask me to come on board, the timing was actually perfect. And I don't know if this was conscious. I don't know that I need to know if this was conscious on Neil's Neil's behalf, but uh, certain things in my personal life had had happened and I I needed something to focus on coming into 2022. And so this was perfect. Um, What I need now, because of other things that have happened, is I basically just need more headspace. and as mentioned to the guys back in October last year, I think it was, um, I, I love catching up with with both you guys, Neil and Dave, every Monday. Um, despite you know, the bullying. Yeah, despite the bullying. I don't call it <laughs> bullying. It's banter. It's banter. <laughs> um, so it's nothing to do with anyone. There's no drama behind the scenes going on. You know, don't go looking oh, come for that. On, it's it's it come on, make it a drama. Come on. It's a drama. I found out things about Neil. I just can't sit well with. No, <laughs> seriously. Oh. I knew he was a serial killer. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the black gloves. Um, it gives it away. Um, but no, seriously, I love Serial kickstart attender. Serial kickstart. <laughs> yeah, serious e- uh, serial eBay purchaser, maybe. Um, but no, I love these chats on a Monday. This is the bit I do love. Um, it's more about uh, work-life balance. Uh, so it's the work that goes on in between shows, and there is a lot of work that goes on in between shows, and that takes up time. And, and also the limitations to my own areas of interest. You know, my part in this hobby is purely nostalgia-driven. Um, and, and you know, this show, doing this show, that I have to bring in a whole lot more. Um, so it had started to feel a bit 
like work outside of work more than a hobby. Uh, and I've been, you know, very carefully watching that since the beginning. Um, I actually just prefer to go back to my own little nostalgia journey, which is quite selfish, I know, for, for myself, but that's what I feel I want to go back to. I just want to kick back and play games, um, play more in 24. Um, and also, as part of that, I, I, I want to see the podcast grow. I feel privileged to be involved in part of what has been a massive growth for the podcast and being part of that. And I feel that actually me stepping down opens opens it up to grow further by, you know, whatever input comes next. Um, so that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited to sit back and watch you guys rather than be involved in um, in recording it. Stop it, you guys. They're putting on sad faces. <laughs> they're putting on sad faces. So, yeah, no, really, I can't thank you guys enough. It really has been an amazing chapter in my life, and I really do wow. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I mean, you've been an amazing part of the show. Chris is not disappearing today. You're going to be with us until the end of end January. Of Jan. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. End of January. Stick around. Of course, there's an open door for any future episodes that you might want to pop up on. And um, I think Dave and I both fully understand your reasoning. Nobody ever has the right to take away from you or from any of our listeners uh, their ability to enjoy their hobby. And as soon as you start to get an inkling that your hobby is feeling a bit work-like, um, then that, that is the time to listen to yourself and stop. So I think you've made made the right decision there. So hop back on when you think it will be fun. Um, I don't know. I think we maybe, ask, Dave. Yeah, go on, Dave. We, we, did, we, did, we did ask Chris if there's anything we could do for him to stay we haven't tried to twist his arm into it. We haven't tried to twist his arm. And Chris said mm. he's, he's made the decision, he's, he's going. So unfortunately, Chris, I, I'm so sorry we're losing you. I really am. Um, it's been, it's been, been fantastic. Like you said, I really look forward to these Mondays thing. And I hope that you come back on um, a few times a year to see us. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, you guys sometimes have to do different things around personal lives as well. So always a backup presenter, happy to do that. Um, and of course, I'm going to be spamming the Reddit because my feed is so <laughs> full of retro news every single day that I'm just going to flood that thing. So there'll be input from me one way or another. Uh, yeah, we'll have to have uh, Chris's Chris's news in brief, even though he's not here. What's in Chris's <laughs> briefs this this week? Um, Sausages. It's sausages. It's half a sausage. Now we have um, <laughs> we have been having this conversation since October. So we have, of course, uh, been talking about continuity. Uh, and Dave and I have come to the decision that if Chris is ever replaced, um, we do want somebody who is not based in the UK, don't we? We, we want that international yeah. sp- perspective. Even though Chris was a fake Australian, he did bring with him some experience. Run away with it for two uh, years. <laughs> and some insights from Australia. So if we can find someone, for example, in the US, uh, in Australia, or, or, or somewhere further afield, um, well, you can't really get any further afield than Australia, but you know, to bring those world perspectives, that would be ideal. But we're not going to rush to do that. Dave and I are going to plow on, just the two of us, um, until such time as the right person um, comes, comes to our mind. Yeah, Dave. Chris, Chris isn't just, uh, yeah, uh, Chris really, really adds lots to it. It's not as if we can easily replace Chris. So yeah. we're, we're not yeah. going to just grab at that someone randomly and uh, not the right person. It's um, He's going to be extremely difficult to replace. We need to get the right person rather than make a wrong step. They need to be bold as well, even if they're oh, That's not. true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 They need to be bold. So that's our criteria. Get a female. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> well, we, that'd be great. While we all recover from that new that bombshell, uh, let's go into Chris's story and pretend Hooray. it never happened. <laughs> never happened. 
Okay. End of February, not January. Yep. Okay, let's get into this story. It's been all over the internet and the news and whatever, so let's just get straight into it. Let's kick off with Tetris. Obviously, we're going to talk about Tetris because there's some news surrounding it. Did you guys play it? Did you guys play Tetris? How good were you? Go. Neil? Yeah. yeah. Tetris, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do a Chris. No, never played. Never, never, never played, played it. Never. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I played Tetris. Never any good at it. I played it on a lot of platforms from the PC to the Game Boy, of course, to cheap knockoffs. But I do have to admit, I didn't get utterly addicted to Tetris in the way that so many people did. Um, I just didn't have the attention span, I think, to keep playing it level after level. It, it didn't hook me. Dave, were you hooked? Yeah, uh, I was good at Tetris. At least I felt I was good at Tetris. Um my issue with Tetris was that once the speed kept increasing, it got to a point where the speed was too high, it wasn't fun, and I'd rather the difficulty didn't come from having to press buttons faster. I'd rather the difficulty came from decisions rather than um, hand-eye coordination. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I played it on my – I remember my nephew getting – I'd got the Game Gear, he got the Game Boy. Mine had colour. It had a battery life of a, almost an hour, um, and he had this you know, hideous brick-looking monochrome thing that everybody was addicted to and was much more successful. And the killer app, really, for the Game Boy on its release was was Tetris, which was often the pack-in game. That what, yeah. That's what made it. If, if, yeah. if the Game Boy had come out with Super Mario World with its blurry scrolling, I don't mm. think it would have had the same impact. Tetris Agreed. was the perfect game. Yeah. Still good, though. Super Mario World was still great on the oh, Game Boy. It, it was good, but if you'd put that next to a Game Gear or an Atari Lynx, yeah. you were you were comparing like for like in terms of the games available, weren't you, or the type, mm. types of yeah. genre, uh, the type of game. But Tetris, you could only get it on the Game Boy. You, couldn't, well, you, could, you could get it on your PC and a couple of other things, but you could only get it on the Game Boy as a handheld, mm, and it yeah. was perfect for that screen and that type of gaming experience. Definitely, definitely killer app. And, and of course, it then came down in the form of lots of clones on cheap LCD game and watch things yeah. from Argos, usually. Yeah. <laughs> um, or McDonald's. Yeah. Oh, yes, the, McDonald's on a chicken McDonald's McNugget. Chicken nugget. We had a kid, we had a, but that's a more recent development, but we did have a kid at the museum this weekend who came in and it's a three hour session and for three hours they played Chicken Nugget Tetris. No. That's it. That's it. No. That's all they played. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, they must, or was it some kind happy. of protest? Well, they were happy. Yeah. The best they bit must... is an hour in, they said to me, oh, my God, you can rotate the bricks. <laughs> oh, no. Are you serious? <laughs> oh. oh. Is that true story. True story. They didn't realize you oh. could spin the bricks until about an hour in. That's so funny. Well, clearly I mean, they uh, weren't as gone. Sorry. And I was just going to say, a nugget is not an intuitive thing to play on, so you can't blame him. That's true. That's true. He's probably trying to rotate the thing with the way modern phones work. Rotate the whole device. That's how it works. Oh, dear. Well, clearly he wasn't as good as Willis, a.k.a. Blue Scooty. Everybody knows the news, so let's just get into it. A 13-year-old player who recently reached level 157, which was world record for the longest game of NES Tetris. So this is the particular version that they're playing. Um, and he then triggered a game crash or a kill screen, essentially completing Tetris. Um, the video posted uh, to the Reddit uh, is by YouTuber A Game Scout, uh, and it gives detail on how historical historically level twenty nine, similar to what you were saying, Dave, that's seen as the end of the game because 
the bricks would come down so fast that you literally couldn't move them across the screen to place them. Um, so level 29 was essentially when most people died. After level 29, you can rotate them fast enough, move them fast enough until pro Tetris players, because that's a thing, they started using uh, um, a thing called hyper tapping uh, as a technique that they do on the controller where players would basically vibrate their fingers on the controller to essentially move the buttons faster and then this technique was later superseded by the rolling technique where players would tap both the top buttons um, but also the underside of the controller and sort of they'd put their feet and ankles in in weird positions so they could balance the controller and you have to watch the videos because to explain it on a podcast is almost neon impossible i've watched uh, videos on these techniques before and yeah, nothing I would have ever thought of. Um, and so it's the rolling technique that that um, basically was used to uh, attain this latest record. Um, the video also gives you a history on the top scores since people started beating level 29 and, and the years that those um, achievements were made. Uh, and also uh, an explanation of exactly what it means to reach the, the crash or the kill screen. So definitely worth a watch. Keep in mind here, Tetris was released in 1989 and players only passed level 29 in 2011. So wow. it took them that long to figure out that you could actually move the, the bricks faster by using these these special techniques on the controller. Yeah, it also involves wearing a glove, doesn't it? Yes, the kid's a got a glove. Yeah, yeah the kid's got yeah. a glove. <laughs> it's probably to stop his skin wearing out, yeah. I would imagine. Um, so I don't know. The discussion points on this for me are I, I, none of us have obviously reached the kill screen because otherwise we'd be the kids on the news, right? So <laughs> did you guys have any special moves, you know, control-wise? And, and also, what games were you most proud to complete or clock, as me and my mates used to call? it um or did you even get to the point of crashing a game effectively activating a kill screen dave i don't recall a kill screen on or a kill screen on, on arcade games but the handheld game which maybe was astro command and it might be it might be something else i looked at once and i've forgotten now the score once you once you got the score too high it went to h h h because the game went through different different um different modes and you just loop the game through and it would get slightly more difficult each time and i felt getting to hhh was me finishing it and that was what you would call clocking i guess chris um but the text adventure lord of the rings would ominously say um and the game would just freeze which is i guess a kill screen and now i realize it just means out of memory but that wasn't related to success in the game, so I guess that doesn't really count. Um, I am proud that I did finish Manic Miner back in the day. Uh, after that, I tended towards more adventures and RPG. I finished Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, and I finished The Colour of Magic. Both of those are very hard text adventures. Now, I'm sure I must have had hints, but not so many hints that I felt that I'd followed a walkthrough, if you know what I mean. Uh, if you follow a walkthrough, you get that. You don't get that sense of same sense of completion necessarily. But I felt I'd, I'd worked these out mostly myself. So, Chris, do you have any any tricks that you used yourself? Ah, <laughs> oh, tricks. The only one I can think of, and I'm going to regret putting this on video. But you know, like the Daily Thompson decathlon and all that. When you're playing them the, the home port, and you had to waggle the joystick, and most people would obviously just waggle it like that. I, uh -huh. I, I, you know, left uh -huh. or right, holding the joystick normally. I'm, I'm using a, uh -huh. what is essentially a quick shot two here for those of you listening. Yeah. Um, but this one's Microsoft Switch. It's a big clicky one, yeah. But, but for some reason, I found, 
I could go faster. I don't know why I'm doing this. I could go faster <laughs> if I had my hand upside down like this and then just waggled it from the base. I'm going to regret this. This is going to be all over the internet. And I, for some reason, I can waggle it faster than if I do it like this. I, I don't know. And now playing about with it, I find if, if you turned it upside down, and this is only inspired by these recent techniques. I didn't do this back in the day. But maybe if you held it upside down. So now I've got the quick shot two upside down, holding the shaft um with with one hand and and, um and just look i can can sort of vibrate the bass and i can do that infinitely why did i not think of that back in the day um so yeah uh watch the video please if you just listen to that you will not understand (laughs) those were legitimate moves um might even be better if people imagine what you did because that might be worse no i don't know i don't know but either way um is it too late to sack chris (laughs) i've already quit you can't do it i can get away with anything now guys oh you're gonna see the no but yeah no legitimately that that upside down maneuver that was a legitimate one i did um i never beat anything like tetris or you know any of those games but i do remember being very proud of beating lotus one because you had to beat Mm -hmm. it on hard in manual and then you could send off the code that got revealed to get your driving license which was just a photocopied a4 piece of paper um that was fantastic so the other one I was I remember is Munchkin on the Philips G seven thousand. So going back to the genesis of my gaming, um, and uh, Munchkin, one of my favourite games on that system, Pac Man clone, and like most Pac Man clones or even the original, the higher the level you're on, the faster everything goes. And I played that to the point where the ghosts were literally just in one corner in the bottom right, just going left to right really, really fast, and they weren't doing anything else because there was no processing time for the system to tell them what to do. And then eventually I'd I'd go up and up a level even when they were doing that, and eventually the system just froze. So I'm going to claim I I hit the kill screen on Munchkin. Yeah, well done. G7000. You did. You did. Well done. Well, I'm going to pick up where you left off with your joystick because I remember on the Dreamcast, but also on some earlier consoles, but the Dreamcast specifically, going around to a friend's to play, and it was an Olympic year. He had some kind of um, Olympic game playing on there. Challenged me to a 100-meter sprint, and I had this very specific way of holding the joypad where uh, with your second thumb, you're not actually pressing the button. You're using your other hand to kind of wobble the whole joypad against your thumb, which doesn't move, and you can get a very rapid left right mm. motion on the buttons and i came in at something ridiculous like 8.8 seconds on the 100 meters and just blew his mind um so there are that's that's probably my the only technique that i can think of like dave i think more about beating point and click adventure games rather than twitch reactions or duration games um i'm quite proud and got a lot of satisfaction over the ability to complete some of them without seeking any help at the time I probably would have sought help if I knew where to look. But at the time, I didn't have an avenue to go and find that help. It was just me and the machine and the game. Uh, One that springs to mind is Operation Stealth, known as something different in the US. Um, Is it the James Bond affair or something like that? The Stealth Affair. It's a James James Bond-themed game in the US, but Operation Stealth over here. Um, And I was ecstatic to complete it, not just because of the puzzles that I got through, but because of also some of the infuriating action scenes along the way. So I had these action mini games. And anytime you get an action mini game in a point and click adventure, it's usually just a cheap way to prolong the game, to prolong the experience. So The problem um, is, yeah, they're they're too difficult or they're too easy or they just just break it. They they don't work, do they? I mean, uh, the, the only one that really worked was 
was probably the boxing in the last crusade it was just a sort of a, a little fighty every now and then you would mm-hmm. fight one of the enemies and that was okay but um it was a bit cheap in operation stealth but anyway i made it to the end of the game and sat very proudly and watched the the outro sequence on that loved it outrun to this day i still love being able to complete it um not only um, have I completed it, oddly, I still find that I'm playing it nearly every single day down in the arcade. It didn't close the book for me. Having completed that game, I carried on to play, playing it. And just this weekend in the arcade archive, I had a clean run all the way through to the very last corner when I crashed and I lost about 10 seconds. I still finished the game, but it, you know it was probably going to be the best time I ever had on it. So frustrating. But when it's a public session like that, it's really cool to be able to play through a game like OutRun while other kids are watching just in exactly the same way I did when I was a kid and I watched good players in the arcade uh, and didn't have the money to play them or the skills to complete it. But, you know, I looked up at them. Dave? First of all, you said other kids are watching on as if you were back a kid and you were placing yourself back in the arcade doing it yourself. But are you playing it through that way just for the pleasant experience of driving an outrun or are you trying to get the perfect run? I am always trying to beat my my score and there are about four people who have been to the arcade archive and set much higher scores than me. I don't know how they've done it because I've had runs where I've finished with 23, 24 seconds left on the clock, like really fast runs and they're still two million points ahead of me so um they've got some skills so i am trying to beat myself and i am trying to beat their scores yeah Fair enough um but yeah i'm not not glitches not really kill screens just good you know games that i've completed and gaming experiences and of course in the modern day epic skid marks a game i play today at epicskidmarks.com and beat our friend and discord admin asnavor on a daily basis i beat him badly badly He's really not a very good player, is he, Dave? Um, you drive badly, is what he says. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make a confession um, here. I, I pop on, and if I see that either of you have posted a score, I just log off again. <laughs> I the, the the competition between between Matt and Neil is is incredible. The two of them are always on it and always trying to play it and always complaining about the slightest little problem with the system. Oh. oh. <laughs> I did. I set a time recently, which I don't think on one of the courses will ever be beaten. Um, Skid marks is a, a, a track that you race around, and there's jumps. And I did top sort down. of the, the perfect lap, top uh, isometric. I did sort of the perfect lap, but at the start of the lap, I went over a jump and I landed on one of the NPC cars' bonnets, which gave me um, an accidental turbo boost. And I am never going to repeat that again. I don't think that's beatable. What was the time? <laughs> Um, it was uh, 15.22. Oh. <laughs> and that was on Gyro, yeah. I've never hit a 15. My, my, my request for all of our listeners is go to epicskidmarks.com and if you see Neil playing, crash into it. <laughs> yeah, do it. Ruin his day. Do it. Actually, if you want to talk about glitches on, on Epic Skidmarks, <laughs> there was a day about a year ago where the developer <gasps> no tweaked, tweaked a car tweaked a car just tweaked a stat on a car and it did it had a knock-on effect with another car and screwed something up and suddenly for that very small window i realized this screw up and i managed to set a time of under 15 seconds it was like (laughs) 14.7 or something like that and showed matt and he he just he just quietly cried anyway carry on 
<laughs> Back to what were we ta- what were we talking about? Oh, that's right, Tetris. This this kid Willis. Um, well, yeah, this this accomplishment has shot Willis to internet stardom, and it's also also all over national and international news. Uh, UK Sky News presenter um, told the young player that he could now go outside and get some fresh air, which I thought may have been a poorly delivered, dry British humour joke. Until she then went and also added. Um, beating Tetris is not a live a life goal. Um, I see Dave jumping up and down. to a thirteen year old boy. Yeah, I, I was I was I was actually furious when I when I saw that. She said, "As a mother, I would just like to say, step away from the screen, go outside, get some fresh air. Beating Tetris is not a life goal." What a horrible thing to say to anyone at all, um, and and it, it annoys me because. Um, of the attitude towards gaming and playing games, be it games like Tetris or even playing adventure games, things that give people real, actual joy, sense of uh, sense of um, uh, sense of completion, things, a sense of achievement, mm. um, allow people to have uh, social stuff online, and it's just shoved into a corner and said, "Well, that's not important. Go outside." Absolute nonsense. But I'm pleased at the backlash that it's had. Yeah. Even now, a few days later, it's all over the internet. People mm. criticising her for saying it, and, and rightly so. So I'm hoping that 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 parochial, small-minded attitude doesn't show up again. Do what you want in your life. Meet your own goals and do what you think makes yeah. happy. Him reaching that lock screen has been news all around the world, and not just not just because look at what look at what he's spending his time on. It's because of look at what he's managed to achieve. Look at what mm-hmm. he's gone through to get there. So good on him. Look at the no. work and the dedication that's gone into that. Yeah. You wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't say um, being the best at chess is not a life goal. You know, sat inside so looking true. at the same thing all day long. Yeah. That's comparable, you know? right? That is yeah. absolutely yeah. comparable. Yeah. Well, look, there is, there's, there's some uh, silver lining to that cloud because another news outlet, so NBC News in the US, chose not only to actually have him on virtually uh, to interview him about his accomplishments, but via remote link up, they surprised him by also bringing on Tetris creator Alex Paginov and the man and the man responsible for bringing the game to the masses. Hank Rogers. Oh, that's uh, so cool. Uh, yeah, it, well, it really was. It's really heartwarming to watch. Uh, both legends actually said hi to Willis and also congratulated him live on American national television. That's how you do it right. And to finish the story on NBC, the anchors then confirmed that Willis does indeed manage his own screen time and loves going outside to ride his bike. Yeah, I don't remember at any point did Willis say, it is my life goal to be nah. Tetris. It's just, you know, oh. it's just something that he does for fun and then got hooked on the uh, the um, competitive part of it, you know, esports. Brilliant. Yeah. And then he goes out yeah. and rides his bike and has fun with, fun with his friends. Didn't we all do that as kids? Oh, absolutely. It was always a, a, a balance of the two, right? Yeah. I mean, I might have been riding my bike wheels. to my friend who had another console I wanted to play on, but I got out on my bike. 100%, 100%. No, but also we, <laughs> no, went missing, we went missing for a day at a time. Well, I know oh, I get out of the woods yeah, and yeah. play BMX, yeah. 4040, yeah. tag, whatever you like. But anyway, thanks, Pajaco6502 and also Weeping Scorpion 1982 for sharing this news with us on the subreddit. So time now for our community question of the week. We set a question before Christmas, which said, sometimes people don't quite get the gift right. It happens. 
Our question is, have you ever been disappointed with a retro gaming gift? Did you exchange it or re-gift it? Um, I can give you an answer to this. I was once given Microsoft Space Shuttle Simulator, uh, which I was really excited about. It wasn't a cheap game to get hold of. You know, this was a premium price game. And I got so upset with it because I just couldn't get the damn shuttle off the ground. The flight simulator <laughs> that I could not fly. I just kept exploding repeatedly on the launch pad. So um, that that was frustrating. Uh, and I did, I think I did, I think it was my mum got it for me. And I did say to her, I think I'd like to take this back. Can I have the receipt? And she was like, no, you ungrateful son. You will not exchange that. This is your present. You are having it. Okay. Nice. Boom. And then really? I blow up again. Yeah. There you go. But, you know, it wasn't a cheap game and she probably had to work really hard to get the money to buy it. So, you know, she had every right to be frustrated with my ungratefulness. What Mm. a horrible kid I was. Anyway, (laughs) let's read out the answers. Uh, Top answer is from DJ Chris Fury. Oh, Let me turn contest mode off. End the contest. Yeah. DJ Chris Fury coming to a nightclub near you. Um, He says... The year was 1987 and I was gifted from my parents the game Outrun. It was for my 48K ZX Spectrum, which is the computer they gave me in 83, many Christmases ago. As we know, it wasn't the best port of the classic arcade game from Sega, and the less said about the 16-bit versions, the better. It was one of my favourite arcade games, so that was a bit of a disappointment to play on the Specky um, at that time. Always not lost, though, as that was also the year I was gifted from my uncle his old Commodore 64 that he hardly ever used. And he knew I was into computers, so he kindly gave it to me. And it was a silver-badged one, too. Anyway, I asked my sister, um, for those who don't know, the silver-badged ones are the the older ones, aren't they? The the bread bin um, ones, Mm. and some of them had silver badges on. Yeah. Anyway, I asked my sister who was going to town one day to see if she could get it swapped for the C64 version. So this is Outrun they're talking about with the story of saying my gran had bought me the specky version by mistake and they believed her. The C64 version was probably one of the best versions. And if I recall, there was also a tape included with the music from the arcade. But to be fair, the SID chip managed to do a decent rendition of some of those tracks and the gameplay was tons better than the specky version. So I was happy in the end. Sorry for the lengthy reply. I will shut up now. It was written um, by a teenager too as well, wasn't it? The C64 version. Yeah. Um, I, I bought the Amstrad CPC 464 version and it too came with that second tape. So I set up my Amstrad on the big table in the lounge. I set up my dad's hi-fi system next to it, put the massive speakers either side of my Amstrad and had the arcade soundtrack playing repeatedly turning the tape over no i think actually the hi-fi automatically reversed the tape so i didn't even have to take it out to to turn it over and that soundtrack was the best part of the game on the amstrad yeah 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 anyway next next answer who's taking it i'll take it um imaginary swing because it's a short one (laughs) imaginary swing a606 uh who says for me there is no wrong retro gaming gift everything i've been gifted has always been Greatly appreciated. Aww. Um, but then I'm always a bit of a Mr. Trebus when it comes to retro gaming. So there we go. Lovely. He didn't try and take back anything, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Trebus. People, Neil. I know. Mr. Trebus was a, a famous hoarder, wasn't he? Yes. Um, yes. From uh, the TV show A Life of Grime. Ed- Edmund uh. Trebus. I Googled that because I didn't know. Edmund yeah, Trebus. So did I. <laughs> I didn't know. I just did it like I knew exactly what, what he was talking about. <laughs> As soon as I saw a picture of him, I remembered who he was, but I didn't. I didn't know his name. So there you go. Uh, doing a Mister Trebus is is hoarding. Dave, right. next answer. Frosty cheesecake 
954 says, I got a PS1 Mini from my wife's cousin a couple of years ago. I'd already built a better way to emulate those games with my Odroid N2 Plus running Batocera, but I appreciated the thought anyway. He'd obviously noticed I was into retro stuff, and it showed more care had got into the purchase than picking up a shower gel set out of boots, for example. <laughs> that said, it did end up on eBay regardless. <laughs> nice. Well, fair I enough, mean, that- really, fair enough. That's the reason the PS1 Mini existed, because if you were to say to most casual gamers, oh, yeah, just get an Odroid N2 Plus and run Batacera on it. They'd say, what the hell are you talking about? I'll just take the PS1 yeah. Mini. Thank you very much. Um, but there you go. Not cheap either. Not cheap, you know. More expensive than a shower gel set. Anyway, lots of great answers from people, including, um, I'm just scrolling through, um, an Atari ST. Oh, sorry to hear that. Um, an Atari STFM. <laughs> sorry to hear that. <laughs> Can I just say the Atari ST is because it broke. It's because it broke, not because it was bad. Oh, no. Wow. There you go. If you'd like to participate in this week's question of the week, we have a new question for you. It is, what are your 2024 New Year retro resolutions? What do you fully intend to do or to stop doing? What are you definitely going to buy? What must you get out of life immediately? Get out of your life immediately. What do you need to bin, perhaps? Uh, Let us know what your 2024 in retro looks like. That's the question. Head over to reddit.com forward slash this week in retro, where you can submit your stories, participate in the question of the week, upvote stories that you like, downvote stories that you don't like. And if you've really enjoyed the show, head to patreon.com forward slash this week in retro, where you can become an official twirler um, and get things such as a bright pink name on our Discord server so everybody knows you support us and have that warm, fuzzy feeling of helping the show to tick along. Thank you to everyone who has taken the time to listen. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Chris. We're going to enjoy every moment that we still have of you through January, (laughs) and we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. They're waving. Bye. Bye. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RNC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Stiles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.